Rutgers legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Welcome, 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 my friend, to another episode of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, this is your host, the founder of ChasingPokerGreatness.com, Brad Wilson. And on today's Tactical Tuesday, I am once again joined by John. John, what is happening, sir? How's it going, Brad? Doing pretty well. Uh, We just both got our second doses of the vaccine, so we're probably both pretty happy and excited to start living normal lives again pretty soon. That's sort of what this uh, podcast will be about. This episode will be about actually sort of returning to normal life. Returning to normal life. We're getting ready to be able to dodge bullets, baby. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And if if we're a little slow today, it's because we're both recently (laughs) vaccinated and we're just going to blame our lack of cognition because you know, our, our bodies are responding to getting this software upgrade that we've just been injected with. And today's theme, like you alluded to a few moments ago, we're going to talk about live poker. And specifically, you're going to go play live poker. When was the last time you played live poker? Um, end of February of last year. I don't think I played in March of last year once, so pretty much LAPC ended in LA, the LA Poker Classic, um, which is like the big two-month tournament series that runs at the beginning of every year. And uh, by the end of it, it was pretty clear that coronavirus was going to be a pretty big thing globally and was starting to affect the US. And uh, yeah, I just started kind of playing it safe um, fairly early on, I guess, considering uh, casinos weren't closing. Casinos didn't close until like weeks after I... Uh, kind of banned myself from them yeah i mean i I told my wife i I don't like being right about stuff actually i do who doesn't like being (laughs) you you like being right about stuff this is a thing that i did not want to be right about but just looking at what was happening and how contagious it was how easily spread asymptomatic for two months or two weeks i realized like this is going to be a major problem i don't see a world where this isn't going to be a major problem and Unfortunately, you know, I think that it was on my radar in January or February before, you know, things shit got real in March and everything kind of like really started shutting down and going back a little bit. So you haven't played live poker in over a year. How would you say your game has progressed in this last year of exploring the online streets and not playing much live um so yeah just i'll just kind of clarify uh what you just said it hasn't even been a year since i've been playing online i think i started playing online at the end of july which is right when i started coaching with you so it hasn't even been a full 12 months and i can very confidently say that since i've started coaching with you uh let's just call it seven and a half months now I've probably improved more in these last seven and a half months than I did in my first two years of being a professional poker player that didn't play online. 
Um, at, during those first two years, I wasn't getting any coaching. I wasn't playing online, so my volume was very, very low. But I still think that's pretty meaningful because, like, I would expect the largest gains to be made, like, right at the beginning when you're just kind of learning the ropes and stuff. Um, but, yeah, just, I guess, to make a long story short, I am, I believe that I'm a significantly better player today than I was one year ago when I quit playing live poker. Um, and it's not even close. I'm actually... I'm actually really excited to get back to live poker and just kind of uh, really see the improvement and, and kind of feel, um, be able to feel how much I've uh, improved in the last seven and a half months. Oh, I, I remember that first coaching session that we had together and um, it's not going into too much detail. <laughs> <laughs> I remember one hand in particular where you rivered a straight on a four flush board and you folded to a bet on the river. And I'm like, Yo, you got a straight. What are we doing? You're like, but there's four flush. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, but you you have a straight, right? Like, you see that you have a straight, right? <laughs> I think that 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 that's a good example of uh, maybe one of the biggest changes that's happened in the last seven and a half months is that I used to be way tighter, just all around. I used to be tighter pre-flop, tighter post-flop. Um, definitely did not bluff even close to as often as I do now. And I think a lot of that is just kind of remnants of like live poker sneaking into um, like my online game and, and honestly just sort of just laziness and, and passive play that is not good. <laughs> I think it's just broad heuristics that the general wisdom of live poker has been spreading for a very long time. Like don't bluff fish, fish don't bluff, wait for good spots, yada, 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 all the stuff that to me is just... Um, ranks a 10 out of 10 on the BS meter now whenever I hear it after really diving deep in the data. And I mean, just really my own personal poker experience is like none of none of that is true. And those heuristics are oftentimes more harmful than helpful. I mean, just a few days ago, I tweeted um, that bad calls shouldn't give you nightmares and bad folds should. And I did not expect it to be anything remotely controversial, right? Like this is just fairly obvious to me thinking about the pot odds model that like bad calls should be nowhere near as impactful as bad folds should be because you are always getting a good price to call, right? Like you're, you're always getting two to one. And so folding the winner is not good. Somebody responded, I would argue the opposite. Bad folds cost zero chips, and I think that that's just sort of a mentality that like people have. They, they still think about poker in that way. And I guess my argument to that would be, I guess, imagine a million dollar pot where you have a royal flush and you just have to make the call to win the pot. And you just say, well, I fold. Like, did that cost you chips? I'm pretty sure that cost you chips, right? Like you folded a royal in a billion dollar pot. And like that's obviously an extreme example. But like that's what happening. That's what's happening when you make bad folds. You cost yourself chips. Right. There's definitely like that used to be me or like probably used to be my mentality as well. Might still I might still think too much uh, in, in the, or I might, you know, be thinking in those terms too often. And I think a lot of it is is very sort of natural human emotion where losing hurts more than winning, I think for more people. And, um, especially when it comes to money, I think, uh, so I, while I disagree with, uh, what the person commented on your tweet saying that like hurting, uh, losing doesn't cost you any chips and, you know, kind of sort of, I think is another way of saying like losing or folding hurts less folding incorrectly hurts less than, 
uh, calling incorrectly. I sort of, at the same time, I sort of understand the the emotion uh, that's driving that that comment. And um, oh, I understand like, it. Fall of a lot of poker players or a lot of people who play poker. I think it's human biology. I totally understand it. It's just incorrect, right? Like that. That's just the the cut and dry. Is like it's just not right. Um, poker is a funny game where. I thought about this the other night after my edibles at eight. You can have two players playing at a tournament final table who both do the exact right thing. And one person is the champ and the other is the chump. And it's just dictated by the situation that each of them find themselves in. Like one person gets one hand, the other person gets the other if the hands were transposed, they would both do the exact same thing and totally different result. It's just a weird game where like you, you can make all the right decisions and you just don't get the right result. And it just happens over and over and over again. And if you're listening to this right now and pursuing poker, it's something you've got to come to terms with because it's part of the gig. Definitely something that I need to work on too. It's just getting used to losing a lot when you call on the river. Um, yeah, you're supposed to. Anyway, yeah. I've derailed this whole conversation. We're supposed to be talking about live poker. Hopefully, yeah. you're gonna you're gonna maybe do a little bit more calling in this this version of live poker that you're about to jump into. But you've changed as a player. You've grown. I've seen that growth firsthand just through our coaching sessions over the last seven months. So I'm excited for you to get back in the streets. And so tell the listener where you're going, what your plan is. And then after the break, we're going to have a little bit of a mini coaching session where John's going to ask some questions about, you know, live poker and I'll answer them because that's what I do. I answer questions. <laughs> sure. So a uh, little bit of background. When I stopped, when I quit playing live poker last year in February, I had just started playing um, capped five ten no limit. So I was playing uh, almost exclusively uh, $1,500 cap five ten. My plan going forward in the next couple of weeks is to start taking some shots, I guess, at uh, uncapped 510 and, and perhaps even some 1020. Um, and I think that, well, obviously, I don't know this, but my perception is that that's sort of a big leap in, in poker. Um, I think there's kind of a big leap when you go from, uh, kind of a leap when you go from 2.5 to 5.10 capped um you know i think one of the things that i noticed was uh the ratio of like fish to regs is significantly lower um even at 510 than it was at 55 and i i sort of foresee this jump into uncapped larger games being uh being a pretty big transition for me as well cool man so after the break i will answer your question on deep sack poker how that's going to change moving up stakes all of the things so stick around after the break. So John, you've used neutralized flop leads in the past 24 hours, correct? Yeah, so I got the basically the slide with all the info on it on Friday evening and yesterday I played a session of uh 1KNL on Ignition and played one particular pot that I remember where a fish just donked flop turn river into me and I 
ended up winning with a hand that I would have folded before looking at the slide, but I ended up winning like a $400 pot instead, and the course is $99, so <laughs> definitely paid for itself very, very quickly. And, and I think that'll be the case for even people that aren't playing as big as 510 No Limit. Like, I think this is a course that will very, very quickly pay for itself given how how much more donking there is at lower stakes. And I think one of the most common questions I see asked in the Greatness Village Slack group is, what do donks mean? How do I deal with donk bets? I, I think that's gotta be like in the top three most frequently asked questions. You, you ought to feel very excited when somebody donks into you because some good things are about to happen. You said like you probably don't need anyone to teach the course or like you can just look at the slide and, and learn all the info yourself. I feel like you, Brad, will have to be there because I am I am almost sure, sure that anybody who looks at the slide won't believe it looking at what they're supposed to do and will have to confirm with you that like you didn't make a massive typo somewhere and that this is actually what they're supposed to do because it's pretty shocking the optimal way to deal with fish donking into you on the flop is. If you'd like to check out Neutralize Flop Leads so that you're never again confused when a fish leads into you in a single race pot, head to ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash Nuffle. That's ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash N-U-F-F-L-E. And now, back to the show. All right, welcome back from the break. John, I'm going to throw it to you straight away so that you can ask your question about transitioning to the higher stakes live poker games. Sure. So got a couple questions written down. The first one um, is sort of a game structure question and how that will, how you think that should affect my strategy. Um, I know that in LA and Las Vegas, where I plan to play most of my live poker, every game that's 1020 or 1020 plus has a big blind ante um, that is equal to the big blind. So uh, if you're in the big blind in a 10-20 game um, in LA, usually you the big blind pays the 20 for the big blind and then another 20 for the ante. So there's actually $50 in the pot instead of the usual $30 uh, of a normal 10-20 game. Um, that's going to be a big, big adjustment for me, I think, is getting used to the extra money in the pot and how that should affect everything from maybe how the size that I open to preflop and, and um, especially the, the ranges that I should be playing. Do you have any advice on, you know, how I should be thinking about preflop ranges and, and maybe even preflop sizing, given that there's a lot of extra money in the pot. So I haven't studied the optimal preflop grids for a big blind ante only because I've honestly never played in a game with only a big blind ante. I, I have played, on a lot of the apps that have three blinds, so small blind, big blind, straddle, and then everybody anties the size of the small blind, which th- th- those games are pretty insane. Yeah, that sounds massive. Um, yeah, they, they, they get big real fast. And the thing is, like, you will have to open a little bit bigger, I think. And it's going to depend on the big blind, too, um, just the caliber of player they are. Are they a defender? Do they understand pot odds? Uh, all, all of those types of things are going to affect your your opening sizing. I would imagine that as you get in later position, your sizing's probably supposed to get a little bigger than from early position, simply because you know 
it's a looser formation and you've got a lot more weaker hands in your range. But other than that, I mean, it doesn't seem like it's going to significantly change the structure of the game in ways that you'll be, you'll struggle to deal with. I wouldn't imagine. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually, honestly, I, I, I'm a little intimidated by like the kind of the new structure, but I'm, I'm pretty excited. Like, I feel like it, it gives me a little bit more leeway to defend the big blind wider to, I don't know, do things that I like doing naturally anyways, I think. Um, and it, it sort of encourages that. Um, I think you actually mentioned something kind of, uh, kind of interesting a couple minutes ago um, that wasn't recorded about how fish limping in games with an ante um, is less of a bad thing. Um, yeah. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, so on the apps that I played on, like I said, there's a lot of dead bunny in every single pot and whales limp or fish limp first in because that's kind of just a thing that they do. And because of the pot odds and them getting a great price, it's actually much more acceptable to limp first in, um, in those type of games, the way that they're structured. And I, I was just saying that I think online poker sites in general, like if you're going to, if you want to reduce the skill gap in the games, one way to do that would be to change the structure of the games to make limping just naturally not horrendous. And that would be one of the ways to go about it in my opinion. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, I think kind of the gist of that, uh, not that I'm going to be doing a lot of open limping uh, when I play live poker, but sort of the gist seems to be like, it's playing more hands and getting in more pots is uh, something that's not going to be punished as off. Uh, it's not going to be punished as severely um, yeah. when there's an extra big blind in the middle. Right. And on the flip side of that, a thing that I, I love is that it punishes the nits who don't right. want to get involved. Like they're punished significantly by playing way fewer hands because they're just bleeding chips every single hand. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Okay. So moving on to my second question. <laughs> so this is something that I, I am actually intimidated by um, and not excited for, unlike having the big blind ante. Uh, the Average stack, I suppose, um, in these uncapped games is going to be just astronomically higher than the average stack of the capped games that I used to play previously. Um, Just to give a little bit of context, I uh, was watching a vlog from one of the popular YouTube poker vloggers, and I think he said that at the 1020 game, one of the 1020 games um, in Vegas, the average stack was $40,000. I, I don't know if I've ever played in a game where the average stack was that that many big blinds. I, I can't imagine that I have. Um, just from like a you know like an intimidation standpoint or or like a how to deal with you know massive stacks standpoint. Uh, do you have any do you have any advice or? Uh, I think it's less. It's more intimidating in theory than it is in practice. There's not a lot of people that can wield a you know, 2000 big blind stack in ways that are very dangerous, uh, AKA people that are just insanely aggressive and it's in play, right? Like it, it is actually in play. You are at risk with your $40,000. There are a lot of people that play that deep where you're just never going to be at risk because they're not wild. 
they're not taking enough aggressive actions and it just has to be some like insane cooler type situation for you to be at risk so i think first of all we have to recognize that like there's not a lot of players at a high caliber that are willing to put that much pressure on you on a regular basis there are some Mm -hmm. and those guys are those guys are killers right that's why they're killers because they will run a bluff that (laughs) where they risk yeah a thousand big blinds or uh 1500 big blinds they they'll just do it and most people are not constructed in that way. So I wouldn't worry about it so much. I, I think it's just one of those things where you, you end up playing, in some cases, you know, smaller pots than you would if you had 100 big blinds because of the defensive nature of deep sack poker. So I think it's just totally fine. And for the listener out there too, whenever if you're playing in an uncapped game, the one thing that I, I always tell people is you can always add money. You can always increase the size of your stack, right? But if you're really proficient at playing 100 big blind poker, it's totally acceptable and okay to start out at 100 big blinds and just add on over the course of the night or try to run your stack up or whatever it is. You don't have to buy in for 40K. And I think that like the the pressure that you feel of everybody having 40K is just manufactured. Um, That judgment, you think that they're judging you. I think that's something that is just internal. And the reality is like you can buy in for a hundred big blinds. And if they suck at hundred big blind poker, you're going to have a natural edge. And another, another thing too, I know you've been worried about being intimidated in these higher stakes live games. Right. But tell me what's the word on the street in like a five, 10 capped game about online poker. Like what did they say about the online poker grinders? Yeah. I mean, the perception is that online is, much harder like online 510 is much harder than live 510 capped i i think most of the pros that i was playing with regularly last year are uh pros that play no volume online or very little volume online so yeah i mean i i i, I see what you're getting at like you know right here it's it's yeah uh, uh okay so like just to, i guess to answer your question shortly it's like the perception is that online poker is very very hard and much harder than the the 510 cap game. Right. And what I'm getting at is you are the killer. You're the online killer that they're afraid of, right? Like they're like, oh, these guys are another level, another breed of poker player. Like that is who you are now, right? So wh- wh- what do you have to fear? Like get in there. You have experience playing live already. So you're comfortable moving the chips around, shuffling the chips, looking at other people. Uh, controlling your emotions, all of those things. And now you just have a technical proficiency that is much higher than the average live player that you're playing against. And I have to imagine that you're just going to, you're going to roll up in those games and it's not going to be what you think it is once again. Like in the same way, the online Mm -hmm. poker wasn't what you thought it was. I think these higher stakes live cash games are not going to be what you think they are. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Well, that definitely, it's given me a little bit, this, con- this conversation is definitely giving me a little bit more confidence. Um, and, uh, it's probably good for my mojo going into, going into these games. Taking yeah. We've got to hype you up. We've got to hype you up. For yeah, you, yeah, yeah. You a, the, the pep talk tactical Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> okay. So third question, uh, this is probably going to be my last one. One of the things that is just going to be a natural result of playing larger than hundred 
BB cap poker or 150 big blind cap poker is going to be the size of the swings. Um, previously, I used to categorize wins and losses in, in, in terms of buy-in. So if I lost $1,000 at 5.5, that'd be a, a two buy-in loss for me. I imagine that like, even though you know, right now I feel uncomfortable buying in for more than 100 or maybe 200 big blinds, if a massive whale sits down at my table and buys in for 500, I assume that I will <laughs> cover the, I will add on chips to, to cover the Better. whales. Yeah, especially if the game is, you know, if, if everyone else at the table isn't, you know, uh, significantly better than me or, or something like that. So basically what I'm getting at is that I think something that I'm going to have to deal with is are, are much larger swings um, on a daily basis and and um, kind of measuring these swings in terms of big blinds. Like losing a thousand big blinds just didn't happen to me last, you know, a year ago or up to, up to a year ago. And, you know, losing like 500 big blinds was like a massive, massive losing day. Um, it's rare. Even in deep stack, it's rare. Really? I don't know how many minus 20K days I had at 1020 no limit, but very, very few. Like less than three few. Huh. So you think that's like, you know, one of the things we've talked about on a previous Tactical Tuesday, and you briefly mentioned it here, is that when you are playing like 200, 300,000 big blinds deep, both players end up playing extremely defensively and sometimes spots where you get stacked at hundred big blinds don't even get to hundred big blinds um, size plot. And, and is that, do you think that's like a big function as to why you don't, these swings don't seem to match the, the size of the buy-in or are not like a, you know, are not correlated with the size of the buy-in really? Well, I mean, it, it, it could be stylistically too, right? Like my, yeah. my style is like basically, basically in like four bet pots at that depth, right? Like I'm just not going to have a five bet range, which means I'm flatting with like aces, right? I'm not five betting. I don't have five bet bluffs. I'm just flatting with everything. And like, basically in a lot of spots where you just play your range as pure call or pure flat, um, the size of the pot doesn't really get out of control. The only time the size of the pot kind of gets out of control is when you're playing at depth against a player that doesn't really understand the function of depth and they just massively overplay um, what they think is a strong hand in an inappropriate spot. And, and I mean, or you just have a, a spot where like you flop a straight flush draw in a four bet pot and they flop top set. And like, <laughs> it, it's just a natural get it in all in degree moment. And you just flip for a bunch of money. But like, Though that again, it, it it's a rare situation. I mean, think about the the parlay you got to hit to like play a two thousand big blinds pot. Like you have to be heads up against a very specific player, have a very specific hand. They have to have a very specific hand, and for all the money to get in, and it it just doesn't happen very often. So most of the swings, it, at least in my experience, are in the order of like three or four buy ins. I mean, you're basically, I, I know what your online poker swings look like. And I can't imagine that playing a 510 uncapped game, your swings would be anywhere near what they are playing online. Gotcha. Okay. And just to clarify, when you said like three or four buy in swings, you mean like three or 400 big blinds? Yeah, three or 400 big blinds on okay. a daily, like win, win 6K, lose 6K. Gotcha. That, that's a pretty normal day. Um, you know, I think my biggest winning sessions when I was playing at that depth were 
I don't know. I think I won 11 buy-ins once. I won 14 buy-ins once. And that's really all that comes to the top of my head. So like, you know, even at 10, 20 uncapped winning 20 K in a day, like that's, that's a significantly good day. <laughs> that's a good, good session. Um, it's, and it's, and it's abnormal as well. Gotcha. Cool. Well, that's all I had uh, question wise. Um, hopefully I will have a chance before the next technical Tuesday to take some shots at these bigger games that we just discussed. And maybe for the next episode, I can bring in some live hands to, to talk to you about. Hopefully some of them will involve me having a thousand big blinds in front of me to start the hand. Yeah, I hope so. That's the plan. <laughs> That's the plan for the next episode of tactical Tuesday. You bring in some hands from your triumphant return to the live streets in Las Vegas. All right. That will conclude this episode of Tactical Tuesday. We'll catch you next week to see how John did. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Chasing Poker Greatness. If you have yet to subscribe to the show, please take a second to do so on Apple Podcasts or wherever your favorite place to listen to podcasts may be. For more content from me, Coach Brad, please visit our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash enhance your edge, and I'll see you next time.